If you've not tuned into one of these before, I'm Colin McDonald. I've been in the games industry for about three decades now. You can tell by my lack of hair. Um, I've worked on everything from home computers to being producer on the early Grand Theft Auto games, working on Crackdown for um, Xbox, being games commissioner for Channel 4 Television. And now one of the things I'm doing on the side is running Games Jobs Live which are a series of online recruitment events for the games industry. The core of the events are live streamed recruitment events, which go out on YouTube, they're free and open to everyone to attend, whether they already work in the industry, work in another industry, but want to move across the games, or are looking to join the industry for the, the first time. We've got various events uh, coming up, um, if you jump onto our, our website at any time, you'll see the list of them. Um, our website is www.gamesjobs.live. That's www.gamesjobs.live. Um, a couple of the events that we've got coming up are um, on the 24th of March, we're taking part in the London Games Festival. And on the 21st of April, we're taking part in Pocket Gamer Connects. So both of those, we've got companies um, relevant to each festival that will be presenting themselves and all the jobs they've got. There are also a bunch of other regional events in the final stages of being organized. So stay tuned to them. Um, if you go onto the website, you can also find this interactive map which lets you explore all of the jobs across the whole of the UK so you can zoom in and see where your jobs are in your, your nearest cities uh, and you'll also be able to sign up to our newsletter so that'll let you keep up to date with details of future events. We also run game jams um, so the game jam that we're in the process of at the moment although entries have, um, have finished um, is the Game Parade Spring 2021. Um, we've had a whopping 72 submissions, I think once we've cleaned up a couple of duplicates, 72 amazing submissions from over 300 participants. There are playthroughs of all the games up on this YouTube channel. Um, if you've not seen them, some amazing, amazing games. All these games were made in one week. It's absolutely incredible. So do have a look at the... Um, at the, at the playthroughs, if you only have time for a quick look, if you have time to play a bunch of them, I would highly recommend it. They're all on the itch page. The simple URL to punch in is jam.gamesjobs.live, and that will take you to the right itch page, and then you can play all the games there. Huge array of, of, of genres, types, depths of games, so highly recommend having a playthrough, as many of those as you can. If you like what we're doing between all these events and the interview we've got coming up, please do um, like the video, subscribe to this channel, um, and please do tell colleagues, friends, family, whoever else you think might be interested. The more people we get involved, the easier it is to attract more and bigger and better games companies to get involved. And that's really the crux of everything we do. It's about helping people get new jobs in the, in the industry. So we need to get the companies along to present themselves, present the positions they've got, um, and tell folk 
uh, you know, how best to approach them to, to get jobs with those companies. More excitingly for today, however, um, this stream is the second in a new series of one-on-one -on -one My Journey live streams where we're going to be chatting with different games industry veterans about their journey into and through the games industry. Before we get on to this week's special guest, next week we are going to have a chat I've known for many years, a chap called Nick Barrett, QA director. He's been in QA in the games industry for over two decades, starting at Electronic Arts, and he now runs his own QA company up in Edinburgh called Proper QA. So tune in 4pm next Wednesday, the 17th of March, to hear um, how Nick's managed to progress and do so well from the QA side of the, the, the games industry, and you'll be able to ask him any questions you want. However, today it's an honour to have user researcher Steve Bromley with us. He's recently published a book, which he'll be giving away a couple of copies of uh, later on. So stay stay tuned, pay attention to that. Um, he will be asking a question that you need to answer. Um, so make sure you pay attention. And throughout the stream, I'm keen to put everyone's questions that I can to Steve. So put any questions into the YouTube chat. We're just using the YouTube, not the Discord today. Put questions in the YouTube chat, and I'll try to ask as many as I can. Um, if they're relevant to the flow, I'll, I'll bring them up at the time. If not, we'll try and get through a bunch of them at the end. So um, let me just bring into the stream Steve. Hello, Steve. Hi, Colin. Thank you very much for having me on. Not at all. Thank you so much for giving up your your, your time and joining us. Um, just before we get started, as a, as a way of introducing you, um, let me just tell everyone uh, that you led user research studies for many of PlayStation's top European games, including Horizon Zero Dawn, SingStar, and the PlayStation VR launch lineup. You continue to work with games and VR, studi and VR studios to improve the player experience of their games. For the last five years, you've run a games user research mentoring scheme, which has partnered with over 100 students with more than 50 industry professionals from top companies such as Sony, EA, Valve, Ubisoft, and Microsoft, and helped many people get their first job in games. You've also recently released the book that we just mentioned called How to Be a Games User Researcher, which covers many of the topics that mentees have asked as they start their games user research career. Wow, that's quite a... It's quite, quite, a, quite a collection of, of numbers, and, and I mean those, those are pretty much the, the the biggest and best game studios that you've worked with. Yeah, I think we're very lucky in the game user research community. Um, there's a lot because it's quite a small community. There's not many game user researchers out there. Everyone is very interested in helping people join or helping people understand what we do. It's not a discipline that's one of the considered one of the core ones of game development. What that means is that games user researchers from all these companies are really happy to give up their time to help out. And yeah, it's been a very helpful for our mentoring scheme. So let, let's start at the very beginning in, in, in terms of, for people that don't know what a games user researcher is, what, what, what is it and what do you, what do, you do? What do you, what's a typical day look like? Yeah, a great question. So uh, people might be very familiar with the idea of playtesting. Uh, finding players who represent your typical players 
putting them front of the game during development and seeing what they don't understand or they can't do. What games user researchers do is they bring across a lot of the skills from uh, the UX or user research disciplines outside of games to run those studies in a structured method. What that actually looks like each day to day is we'll spend a lot of time talking to developers throughout development, working out what decisions they have coming up or what decisions they've just made, understanding what their vision for their game is, and then we'll turn that into something that we can test. So uh, we'll work out what's the hypotheses that we can draw from, from how they, they think the game should work. Uh, to, uh, I'll try and give that a concrete example. So if you think about a game like Bloodborne or Dark Souls, games that are meant to be hard, what we want to do as user researchers is understand what is the intended experience, exactly how hard they should be, and what skills do people need to master to progress. And then we'll design a playtest that will be able to test that. We'll then run those playtests. That involves moderating sessions, either sat with participants who are normal players, watching them play, observing their experience, and asking them questions to understand what's going on in their head, what do they understand, what do they not understand, and what about the game do we need to change in order to communicate the designer's vision to them. Uh, we then often end up with a lot of data because it's not just that those interviews or that observation, but we'll also do things like run surveys or look at analytics and come up with some conclusions about does the game work in the way in which we think it should be working and report that back to game teams. So in brief, it's running structured playtests to help make sure that games are experienced in the way the designers wanted them to be experienced. I mean, it sounds like one of those jobs and, you know, outside of the industry, the, the, the common one is just being a games tester that mm -hmm. it sounds amazing. You, you know, it's like, what you mean? I just get paid to play games all day. And, and your job kind of sounds the same. But everything you've described there, you didn't touch on actually getting to play the game yourself, really. It's about speaking to developers and getting other people to play the game. Yeah, I think, although on the surface it looks like a lot of playing games, there is a bit of playing games. You have to understand how it works and understand the build that you're testing because you're sat with a player and the player doesn't have the required technical skills to know how to overcome issues or know what isn't working properly yet because the game isn't finished. And so we need to understand how the game's meant to be experienced and what are the issues in this current build that we'll need to help players get around. So there is a bit of playing games, but a lot more of it is just watching other people play games. I've spent many hours watching people play uh, SingStar or play through the same levels again and again, the tutorial of games, especially because that's so important for teaching players how to play. That will often get a lot of attention in playtesting. And so I've seen hundreds of people go through tutorials, which is fun the first few times, and then it, it does become work after a while. Yeah. And how, I, I, I mean, my, my experience of doing user research is that you always see the value in it once you've got the results and you've implemented the results. But you, you're, as a developer, you're sort of inherently resistant because you just believe, no, no, of of, of course we've done it the best way. Of course that's obvious. I mean, what you must get a range of, of sort of reactions from the developers. I mean, how, how engage, what's the, the range of engagement you get? Yeah, and that's a very common thing because, well, especially big games, they spend uh, between like one to five years to be made. 
at the end of that point, if you're working on that game, you've played it every day for five years, you're probably amazing at that game, you know exactly how it works. And it's really hard to get that beginner's mindset of understanding, okay, what is the experience of someone who's never seen this game before, never played it before? What are they going to understand and what are they going to be able to do or not do? And so as well as actually running these playtests, a lot of what a user researcher will have to do is that advocacy work, uh, explain what we're doing, convince developers that it's worthwhile doing usability testing or doing other types of research earlier in development to help inspire your game design decisions, and then actually do it. What that looks like in real life is you might have a relationship over a number of games with, with a developer. So the first title you, you work on them with, they won't really think of it until the end of development and they think, oh, we should usability test this. And so we'll run a test and we'll find actually there are hundreds of issues and it's really difficult to play and it, there's a lot of work to be done. And then the team has to panic. They have to quickly to meet their launch deadline, react to these issues. And some of them they can't fix in a way that, in which they would want to have fixed. And they just run out of options available and run out of time. So the next game we work on them with, they'll come to us earlier and realize, oh, we should run that usability testing much earlier in development to give us more chance to react to it. And then as we progress through further titles, moving earlier and earlier in that development process, as you realize what other types of way a researcher can help out a game team become clear. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of relationship management and explaining what we do and advocating for user research is a, definitely a big part of the role too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I, I mean, certainly one of, one of my memories is you know when I when I've had one of my games tested, it is actually going along to some of the the, the the play test sessions, and it's the most frustrating slash humbling slash insightful minutes you can spend in an entire game's development because you spent two years making something and then you sit down for twenty minutes and watch two people play it and go, yeah, everyone's going to get stuck at that bit. <laughs> but it's the fact that you're not you're not just showing this to a friend or family going what do you think and of course they're going to be polite and you'll give them a little nudge and do this and but it's the fact that it's it's completely isolated i, I think it's what makes it so valuable and it just suddenly dawns on you if we want a million people to play this they're all going to struggle with that do, do, do yeah. you see that I mean, I, I felt like I had a light bulb moment the first time I sat down like that. Do you, do you see that happen with other people? Yeah, exactly that experience. I think, as you said, when uh, all game developers do some sort of informal play testing throughout development, they'll show it to a friend and um, the friend, as you say, will say it's nice and you help them through it. But when the game's actually released uh, live, you're not there to help people get through it. And so that first experience of not being there to help and seeing what this really would be like for a player is tremendously valuable. I don't know if this was your experience, but uh, in some of the labs I've worked in, we've had a one-way mirror where the game team can sit behind the one-way glass and watch uh, a living room set up where the players yeah. are actually playing the game for real. We always have to remind the developers that to keep the volume down just because their passion of seeing people play and wanting to shout out, look, it's really obvious. You press that button, it's right there. Why can't you see the button? Um, again, that that passion is great, but it's those light bulb moments of seeing, okay, players are going to have issues with this and we do need to change something about it. Uh, yeah, I, I remember the most extreme one I had, this is going back 20 years, 
Um, kind of before it fell, user research was, was a, 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 mm-hmm. a standalone discipline. Um, but we brought someone in just just to play the game and we sat them down, put the game in front of them and I stood behind them and made a point of, I didn't want to give them any direction. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get off of the menu screen. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, okay, yeah, we <laughs> yes. have a problem. <laughs> I'll, I'll avoid naming specific games, but I've seen, yeah, those beginning issues, especially like getting in a spaceship and then not knowing how to make the spaceship go when it's a game about going in a spaceship. Um, you just don't see those fundamental issues when you're making the game because you know how it works. And you're like, well, obviously you press this button. Uh, but yeah, players are obviously real people with a real understanding of the game. And so there's tremendous value in seeing that. So uh, what are you reporting back? Are you are you reporting the issue as you as you see it and sort of the severity or are you report are, are you making suggestions of how it could be resolved because that starts to impinge on you know you're almost then a game designer if you're making suggestions on how to resolve it what's the balance there yeah that's a really good question and certainly a hot debate in the user research circles uh, my personal approach with this and uh, what i would advocate is we will learn from these studies what some problems are and we'll understand why that problem exists. We'll understand what it is about your game that caused this issue to exist. We'll then take that to a game team and present it to them as a problem and say, look, people didn't know where to go on this level because uh, there were some distracting elements over there that caused people to go over there. So for most game teams or for some game teams, that's enough. And because they're the experts in their discipline, they know art direction a lot better than we know art direction. They know the production timetable, so they know what's possible uh, in the amount of time they have. They can then take that and decide what the appropriate action is to fix that issue. With some teams, you might want to, as a user researcher, take it a step further. So still not giving solutions, but helping them come up with a solution. So another skill that user researchers often have is being able to facilitate workshops to help teams do ideation, think about what are all the potential ways that we could resolve this issue? How do we evaluate which meet our best practice and which are feasible and help the team land on the right solution? But again, that's still the ideas of the game designers and the art directors and all all the people with those disciplines. We're just acting as facilitators to help them get to that solution. Yeah. Um, and then a question from um, one of our regulars and one of our, our moderators and um, mm-hmm. community chats, Thresh, um, it, it, asking about you know which parts of a dev team. But it, I mean, it, it's not just UI or, or UX. It's it, 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 am I right in understanding it could be any part of a, a, a team you're you're working with? Yeah, that's correct. So how I like to at least explain it to myself is as user researchers, we should be aware of what decisions are being made throughout game development. And decisions aren't just from the UI team, although often that does have a very uh, good return of investment for user research studies like this. Decisions are also being made by level designers about the layout of their level, about combat designers, about how the combat works, from tutorial designers. So all of these people are making decisions. And we believe that those decisions are um, should be validated before you trust it's that you've made the right decision. Although everyone obviously has their expertise and they've been making levels for 20 years, so they know what a good level is. 
again, there's a risk there until you validate that players will understand and be able to interact in the way in which you think they will, that there might be a problem. And so what we as a user researcher have to do is understand what is the status of the game? What is everyone working on? And obviously you can't user test everything because there's not enough time and people are working on stuff uh, throughout development, but continually prioritizing where's the best place to put our effort? What's the riskiest decisions being made by the team currently, whether that is level design, game design, UI or UX, and then make sure that we can design the right study to answer their questions. And in terms of what you're doing at the at, at the moment, how, how, do you, how do you classify yourself? Are you have you got your own studio? Are you a consultant? Are you a you know what's? Yes, so I'm currently consulting, which I'm very lucky to have the opportunity to. Um, I, as mentioned in the beginning, I worked at PlayStation for five years, uh, with, where I was based inside their team that supports all the titles they have in Europe. So that was exciting to work with a lot of different studios. And since then, I've continued to do that. Uh, kind of thing. So studios will approach me often to ask about usability testing in the first place, but uh, a relationship might start with usability testing. However, it can go from beyond them to think about how do we integrate this idea of user-centered design and embedding user research throughout the development process. So that's not just play testing. That can be other ways of integrating that as well. I, I mean, there's probably people watching that think, oh, great, being a, being a consultant in your research, that, that sounds great. I, I mean, you're not going to be able to jump in to, to that immediately. It's because you've built up that experience at PlayStation and everywhere else, I presume. Yeah, I think it helps to start my career with PlayStation, where they are a very mature research team. They've been doing it for a long time, and they have a process, a way in which it works. There is a huge education piece for me there. So it was my first user research role after university and just learning, although you can learn it very theoretically from university, learning all those practical things about, okay, how do you actually run a study? Uh, what are some good ways of, it's very multidisciplinary. There's all the parts about interacting directly with players and being able to manage that relationship okay. There's having a strong understanding of how game development actually works so that you can have sensible discussions with game developers and you can recommend when they should be uh, running usability studies or other types of studies because the maturity of user research in general is quite low in games. It's not a thing that every studio does. A lot of what you have to be doing is helping the team realize where they can use your help, not just relying on them to come to you. So yeah, it does help to have that background from working with an established team to at least know the shape of things and then take that forward. Yeah. So let, let's jump back to your, your getting into the industry. Um, uh, you mentioned university. What did, what did you study at university? Yes. Well, the first time I did history, which is lovely. It's really interesting. I spent a lot of time looking at um, science fiction and utopias, uh, but not In history. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, the history of, well, how different utopias and different time periods reflect the, the, the ideas and the thinking at the time. So your idea of the perfect society changes uh, based yeah. on your actual society. Um, however, I failed to find a relevant career out of history. And so a few years later, I was back at university. Uh, this time I did human-centered computing uh, or HCI, 
which is that idea of usability, making sure that software is easy to understand and people understand how to use it, and also taking best practice from psychology so that when you do see that there are issues or problems with software, understanding how people's minds work so that you can help diagnose that problem and maybe help teams come to an answer. I was very lucky. I think luck is how I would describe how I ended up in games. So uh, the university course I was on, one of the lecturers was Graham McAllister, who at the time ran a user research agency for video games called Vertical Slice. Because he taught the course, he uh, created opportunities for uh, to work with real game studios throughout development. And so one of the student product uh, projects that he organized was with BlackRock Studios, the makers of Split Second. Um, they were interested in evaluating whether people understood how to use the mechanics in the game. And it was really great to get that first-hand experience of actually what is game development like and the type of research questions that games have. Um, I think we've got a, a clip of Split Second to give it some context before I go on. Yeah, so as you can see in the trailer, it's a, a racing game, but the novel mechanic it had was that players could activate destructible scenery and make things explode to try and get an advantage in the race by making things fall on your opponents. And so as you can imagine, there's potential for usability testing there where you can uh, understand, do players recognize what's destructible? Do they know when to trigger destructible things so that it actually works? And so some really nice user research questions. And so that was a great student project that uh, Graham organized. Uh, still, that was my first exposure to realizing that this was a thing that exists in games and it was a potential career route. And so alongside doing the course, I started approaching in indie developers and just looking for practice, really, asking them, OK, you've got a game in development. Would you like some usability feedback on it? And as you can imagine, I made all sorts of mistakes in the actual usability reviews and we're probably failing to find all the issues that exist but it was again good practice of talking to real developers understanding what a real game halfway through looks like and what kind of feedback is useful and relevant for these game developers um, still at university i did my uh, dissertation the final or the end of that course with graham he arranged uh, a project with a local game studio called Relentless Software, who made Buzz, uh, the quiz game. Uh, again, that was really good first-hand exposure to what a real game development studio is like and the type of questions that they might have for user research throughout development. When I finished my course, 
uh, PlayStation had a junior games user research role available. And I think that combination of both doing the academic experience, but also getting lots of uh, real first-hand experience with the game studios and practicing it with indie developers to try and raise my own game at this meant that I, again, was very lucky and got that junior position at PlayStation. Yeah, I mean, and this comes up time and time again, and I feel the same about my own career, that there's so many things people point to and say it's luck. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's always an element of luck, but I also think you make your own luck. And from the sounds of it, at university, you found something that was of interest to you, and off your own bat, you, you, you went out and you sought out these indie developers and offered them something. I don't know if you were charging or you were just you know, doing it for the <laughs> No credit to you. Um, and you were learning and you were building up something you can put on your your, your CV to differentiate your, your, yourself and your understanding a bit more about the industry. And it's it's those sorts of things, you know, off your own back that I think nine times out of 10 are what makes the, the, the difference in the, in the people that think of themselves as lucky that you do enough of those sorts of things, it works out somehow. Yeah, I think that's true. You make your own luck, don't you, to some extent. And it's one of the things we recommend on the Games User Research Mentoring Scheme. So a common activity that mentors will encourage their mentees to do is to find some indie developers. There's some really good communities out there. So there's the itch.io uh, community. And also there's some subreddits of people who are looking for playtesters in their game. Often these communities aren't looking specifically for user research or usability feedback, but that can be because they haven't been exposed to it or don't know what it is. And so going through that process of explaining to them, this is what I intend to do. I intend to find some usability issues with your game, discovering some usability issues, and then sharing them with that team is a really valuable practice of all the skills. And again, exactly as you say, helps your application stand out against all the other ones going for these roles. Yeah, so just to jump back, when you when you started that HCI course, you, you weren't specifically thinking about games. Did you have games in mind at all at that point? No, not really. So as I imagine everyone has, I had childhood experiences of growing up and being interested in games. I, I had a master system, had an N64, loved games, but I'd never considered it really as a career until the opportunity came up. I guess the only thing that was even slightly relevant, but doesn't feel like it leads on to it, is while I was in uh, secondary school, I, I worked on a mod for Quake where I designed levels for it, but it was entirely a, you're a bunch of kids at secondary school, it's not a professional environment at all. Uh, and then I just put that aside and thought, well, that was fun, but there's, you can't work in games. It's not a real thing, is it? And started looking at IT jobs or that kind of thing. And so when I recognized that those user research skills and the ability to be a user researcher uh, is a, I, well, I think it's an interesting job, whatever the discipline, but also that it enabled you to do that inside games was, again, just very lucky. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've got Graham to thank for getting you into the games mm -hmm. industry. So, excellent. Yes, very much so. No, Graham's a good pal. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, a, a question um, that's come in, um, we've kind of half had the answer. Beaver's asking what kind of experience or qualifications are required for an entry-level user research role. And just to, to flip that a little bit, I mean, in terms of those um, the Sony job that you went for and, and got, I mean, could you have got that job without the sort of HCI degree 
you did or was that specifically what they were looking for do you think yeah so it is quite common that people applying for these roles either ha have a hci degree and often at a more advanced level so for example a master's or a phd i don't think that's required it's just one way of demonstrating that you have a background in user research or that you understand how to design a study and so I know lots of people who work in the field who don't have a formal qualification for it. However, I think it does, it is a way that you can demonstrate that you have that background. So if you don't have that kind of qualification, you might want to have a history of doing a similar role outside of games or having a lot of practice uh, on your own terms and being able to show, look, I've done these projects with these teams. Uh, you might need something to help show that you have that same degree of understanding and experience if you don't have the academic uh, degree yeah yeah and and you've you've said that you know sony are, are one of the more established companies in, in 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 terms of investing in user research what was what was then your do you remember your initial experiences you know your first days and weeks and months compared to what you thought it would be like yeah that's a great point um I guess it, the first thing is it, it didn't disappoint. Um, Sony, because they are a big publisher, they have lots of big games, it means that you do get to work in games people are interested in and you get to do all those fun things like launch parties and big events. And also because it's an industry in which everyone is, everyone's there because they're very passionate about games. Um, I imagine, especially if you're working as a developer or a technical role, you could get paid more to go and do that job in a bank or somewhere else. And so you're there because you really care about games. And so being in that environment of people who who just uh, are very interested in, in the thing they're working on, feel a great deal of ownership and care a lot about what they're working on is a very exciting place to be. So that's very positive. I guess where I see that reflected back at me, because maybe it does wear off after a while and you stop to appreciate, actually, it is... A privilege to work on entertaining software that people care about and and are very interested in. Um, where I still see that come up is through the actual participants who come in to take part in the playtests that we run. So, thinking about other fields, when I run user research studies, for example, in finance, if you're bringing someone in to test a finance app, it's probably not the most exciting thing they've even done that day. They're not that excited to be there and they're there because you give them 50 quid to be there on contrary if you bring someone in to play a game that perhaps hasn't been announced it's years out from being finished and it's part of a franchise that they care about that's definitely the most exciting thing that a person has done this month possibly this year and there's just really great energy in those playtests and those sessions and so yeah you do see a lot of that excitement and perhaps it re regenerates your own excitement by seeing that experience of uh, people coming in to that environment for the first time. So who are those people that come in? Where, where do you find them? How do you vet them? Yeah, so what's very important as user researchers, we make sure that they are realistic players. It's no good getting feedback from people who don't represent the right type of players. Um, you can imagine a first-person shooter where you need to know some things before you can even get started with a first-person shooter, like how to use two thumbsticks. Uh, if you get some people in who have never played a first-person shooter before, all you're going to learn is it's hard to play if you don't know how to use the, the two thumbsticks, but you don't get to test any of those hypotheses the game team has come up with. Um, 
what that means is we have to be very careful to make sure we're getting the right type of pe people. And so we typically, or we do a number of things. We screen them based on the types of games I've played before and their purchase habits. So if you were working on, let's say, Halo, the next Halo, you want to check that you're getting people who have either bought or played the previous Halos to make sure they're the right type of player. We also do pay people to take part in play tests. The reason we do that is to make sure they turn up. Um, if you are running, you're designing a study and you've got the game team there watching and everyone's ready to, to watch the session, if the person just doesn't bother to turn up because they, they think, oh, I'll stay in bed instead, that's a lot of everyone's time and a lot of company money you've wasted. And so once we've found the right player, you'll give them £50 for their travel and to make sure they turn up and um, yeah, make sure that we have the right player for the right experience. What we find, well, what I don't recommend is screening particularly on demographics. So you might assume, okay, it's important that we're getting 18-year-old men or, yeah, doing it based on their their demographics rather than based on their actual behaviour, the things they play and what they've done before. So, yeah, primarily looking for people based on their behaviour. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine being the person that didn't bother turning up to get to see an early version of the next Halo? How gutted would you be <laughs> years later and go, oh, no, I stayed in bed? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're definitely here. Feel like you've missed out. <laughs> Um, and then you, you touched on your 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 um, it's not just games but VR. I mean, how what's the intersection? What's the what's the differences there between looking at, at one or the other? Yeah, so I was very lucky in that. Lucky again. Um, I when I was at PlayStation, it was during the development and the launch of the PlayStation VR headsets. That was really interesting for a user researcher because it was before there were any consumer VR headsets, and so a lot of fundamental questions about how does it work how how do players in, how do we teach people how to put it on how do players interact with things in the world they those questions hadn't been answered it's not like an established genre where everyone knows how that genre works and so a lot of the game design decisions are just implement that thing that we know that works from the other game in this instead a lot of those questions were wide open and that just meant a huge potential for user researchers to be involved very early in development, both for the hardware and the software, to make sure that people understood how it worked, were able to do the things in the game, and that we were making a fun and usable experience. One of the titles I worked on was uh, PlayStation VR Worlds, which was London Studios launch game. I think we also have a clip of this. We do. I don't trust you. 
eyes peeled. Like clear, yeah? Brilliant. In terms of looking for people with the right experience for, for that, you have to say, oh, have you, have you ever tobogganed under a juggernaut going down a motorway yes. miles an hour? I mean. uh, one, one thing I personally forgot to do that did come up as an issue is check if people were scared of sharks because you don't tell them beforehand what they're going to be doing. And then if they have tremendous phobia of being underwater, uh, it's unfair then to make them actually play the experience. So that can be a wasted session. Um yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, on your Yeah. So what's really nice about PlayStation VR Worlds is, as you could see from the trailer, it's a whole bunch of different genres and different experiences in there. And so as a researcher, each of those has lots of really interesting questions, like how do you teach players how to reload their, their gun in London Heist? How do you help players find which thing they can go under and which thing they should avoid in, in the luge game? And so really interesting research questions throughout development. And that was a real privilege to work on that. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that's that's great. And uh, I mean, that was your first job. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's amazing. So how, you, you, did you say you were at PlayStation for five years, was it? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and I guess your role mostly changed just in terms of virtue of sort of the project moving from games to, 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 to VR rather than sort of fundamentally changing your... Yeah, that's right. I think as um, as you develop in your career as a user researcher, you the skill set does expand. So when I started as a junior, the fundamental part of the role is being able to plan and run a study and uh, interact with the players so that you can ask questions in a non-leading manner. So all those study skills. But then as you grow more senior, you recognize that actually there's additional challenges making sure that the game teams are running the studies at the right time and evangelizing for user research and encouraging people to do that. And so as your role grows more senior, and especially now uh, a lot of the work that I do uh, as a consultant is that part of it, helping teams understand when they should be running user research rather than the actual hands-on time with the players. Uh, so the challenges do change, but it's still based around let's run some really great studies to help make games better. Yeah. And then in terms of what would you think of as your first promotion as such in the in the industry? Was that was that still at PlayStation? Yeah, I think it was. Um, again, I was very lucky because it's a mature research team and so they, they had reasonably strong processes for this kind of thing. When I first joined, all I uh, the first thing you do is just be the note taker for those sessions. So write down the things that are interesting or relevant and then work with other researchers to, to analyze what it means. Uh, eventually, I had the opportunity to actually lead studies myself, be responsible for designing the tasks within the set players, be responsible for debriefing that back to teams. And so as I, I got that first promotion, it was recognition that you can now do these additional parts of the process uh, to a reasonable standard and can be trusted to have a relationship with with the game teams and in turn how did that promotion come about i mean was that something something opens up and you applied for it or was it just you were pulled into a meeting room and told steve here you go yeah more of the latter so again because 
I worked with some really great researchers at PlayStation and got a lot of mentoring inside the company from other people who are user researchers there. I guess reiterating how open and um, helpful the user research community is. Uh, the researchers I worked with had introduced these opportunities for me to do those things. And so the promotion was being called into a meeting room, being told you've done all these things to an appropriate level. You can now change your job title to, to the next job title. Excellent, excellent. Um, Steve, I'm conscious we've only got you for another 15 minutes. So oh, anyone yes. watching, jump jump in with your questions. Um, I can't guarantee we'll ask everything because I'm trying to keep it vaguely on a, on a, on a thread. Um, but jump in with the questions and we'll ask them um, if we can. Um, and we've also still got the, the giveaway for a couple of copies of Steve's book to, to come up. Um, but before we get all onto all that, um, you, you then, after, after five, you spent five years at PlayStation, you obviously moved on. What, what led you to, to think about moving on? Yeah, so my first move, um, my first move was recognizing that there is a wider world of user research out there. So as I mentioned, PlayStation's research team is very mature and they, they do what they do very well, which is that idea of doing a usability test to check that the game works in the way in which you think it, it should work. Uh, looking across industries to uh, research in other places other than games, I started to learn that actually evaluating decisions is only part of what a user researcher can do and part of what user-centered design is in other types of software. So there's potential to run studies earlier in development before those decisions have been made to help your teams understand their users better, understand their user needs, understand the problems that exist. And this is very common in other types of software development where they might understand how do people book taxis currently in order to come up with a new app that helps you book a taxi better. Whereas in games, they haven't traditionally had a history of doing that. Uh, partly, I guess, because games are a creative art form, design is very strong there. And so the positioning of user research in games is we're helping people understand the, the uh, we're helping the design vision be realized in the right way, not we're trying to change the design vision. So as I became aware that what I was doing as a user researcher was only part of the potential. I then started to look to other opportunities, both within games and outside of games, to learn about those other types of user research, learn how they can fit into development. And one of the things I'm particularly enthusiastic about these days is trying to bring some of that knowledge back to the games industry to say that we shouldn't just be testing your decisions. We can also help you make the better decision the first time with other types of research methods. Cool. Um, and I, I mean, just just thinking about just the games industry, not not mm -hmm. all your other experience. What, what would you say are the highs and a high point and a low point from your time in the games industry? Yes, um, I think the high point is those time spent with players. I've talked earlier about how excited they are to be there. Um, there's some particular genres of games that I think are, are particularly good for that. Uh, I, I, we mentioned at the beginning, I worked on, on SingStar, where you've got groups of friends in a fun room playing together. Another game I was privileged to play uh, to work on was That's You by Wish Studios, where uh, it was a quiz game where you can uh, quiz your friends, decide which one of your friends is most like this. Uh, if we have time, there's a clip on, of this. I don't know if we do. We do. Let's have a look. Yeah. Peggy 12. 
This is a game like no other. Here, the only thing you need to know is each other. Who'd come away from a pottery weekend with a clay blob? <laughs> Points for all who agreed. These campfire stories would leave everyone needing therapy. Yes, yes, I knew it, I knew it. Mimic this picture. Alright, let's have them. We're gonna play a game now where we doodle all over photos. Draw them as a fairground fortune teller. <laughs> Draw their party hat. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so as you can see, a really fun environment for the players, and so really fun to moderate those sessions and be part of making those fun experiences. Uh, you also mentioned about low, low points. I think this is touching on a point we've already talked about, but I think my own personal low point was when I thought I had to understand it all. I thought, okay, I'm very good at running usability tests. I'm very good at playtesting, and this is all there is to, the, to this, and there's not the potential to take it any further than that. And I think that experience from outside of games, learning about how other types of studies can help inform game decisions has helped with that since where I realized, okay, there's a whole world of user research out there and I can be advocating and trying to bring this into game development as well. Uh, it, it just it reminds me, there's, there's been a couple of books I've read that I've, I've from my non-user research point of view, have felt like they've been, they've been a, a great little insight. Um, Design of everyday things is one that springs to mind. Is is there any, you know, sort of entry level books, videos, anything like that that you'd recommend people having a look at, whether or not they're thinking about user research as a career? Yeah, um, a book, the best user research book, the one that I always recommend, is called Just Enough Research by someone called Erica Hall. It's really good at not being overly theoretical and really on the practical okay, here's why it's important to understand your users when you're making something. Even if you're not a user researcher, if you're someone making something, this is how you should do it. Um, and really opinionated, which I think is a good thing in these type of books. And so, yeah, just enough research is the book I'd recommend. And, and your own. Oh, yeah, that one too. Um, so the book, uh, How to Be a Games User Researcher, I guess it, it covers three things which I think are very relevant if you're interested in this as a career. It covers what, how game development works and what game development actually is inside a, a big company. The actual skills of how to be a games user researcher, how to run a high quality play test and get reliable results from it. And then just some advice about how do you get that first job? Because it's not the uh, widest discipline, not every company employs user researchers. There's a lot of competition and you have to be an excellent candidate for those roles. And so it's got some tips about how do you get that kind of experience and show that you're a fantastic candidate for the role. And where could people get this book if they would if they would like? <laughs> Good setting up. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. Also, if you're just interested in this but not sure if you want to get the book yet, the website gamesuserresearch.com has both links to the book, some free bits from the book. There's a mailing list where every month we share some advice about how to become a games user researcher, and it's also got links to the Game Teaser Research community. I mentioned earlier about how good the community is. 
and through things like the mentoring scheme they have a discord they run events like conferences links to all of that are on gamesuserresearch.com perfect um, and then speaking of your book you kindly offered to give a, a a couple of copies away that's right i have a question uh, to set everyone and the closest two answers i think are going to get a copy of the book uh, the question is how many playtest hours have i overseen in my career i should explain what a playtest hour is uh, if i've watched 10 people play a game simultaneously for an hour i'm counting that as 10 hours so in total how many hours of people playing games have i watched and it's it's more than 10 isn't it it's more than 10 it's significantly more than 10. <laughs> um so put your put your answer just one answer each please into the the youtube comments um and in five minutes just as we're wrapping up um steve will pick the closest two answers um, and uh, those lucky winners will get a, a copy of his amazing book. Um, potentially controversial question, um, but best boss and worst boss. I'm always fascinated by this, and I'm not looking for names. I'm kind of more looking for you know, characteristics or the best bit of advice or, or the worst bit of advice. So you don't want their LinkedIn profile? Well, <laughs> offline, and, you know, to avoid them in the afterward. <laughs> I think... Uh, the best boss is it's the one who helped me recognize that for a discipline like ours, like user research, where it's not considered a core part of the development process, it's equally important, like the communication part of the role is half the job and equally important as actually running high quality studies. So instead of sitting back and waiting for teams to come to me and ask for a test, they helped me realize that the job is actually educating people about the potential of research, helping them realize how relevant it is. And so I had a very good job, uh, sorry, a very good boss who really cared about advocating for user research and helping drive it forward. And so uh, that's the characteristic from the best one. I, I've lucky again, I've been lucky again, and I, I don't have uh, an individual worse boss. I guess there's just the, uh, missed opportunity when uh, from people who haven't helped recognize that actually the role is not just to um, be an agency where people come to you and you do it and then you give it back but instead you have to be advocating and outreaching and that is equally important part of the role yeah so just I'm trying to get something salacious out of you here I mean what, what about <laughs> What about worst worst client? You know what you, you know. Is that have you got any any stories that you tell at parties about mm. what ridiculous, defensive or aggressive um, reaction to something? I guess you always get uh, the best stories about the players. We'll do that next. Um, the I guess with clients, you always get some defensive behaviour, and if they think that you are you have told them they have done, it's not they've done a poor job, it's that they've failed to implement their vision correctly. They will immediately move to, well, there must be something wrong with these players, or there must be something wrong with the method you've applied, or there must be something wrong with your analysis. And so a lot of the steps you have to do is be proactive to to explain how, how rigorous and how good our methods are um, to avoid that. So for the salacious things, I guess it's the, the 
players are the most dubious part of it because they're all members of the public and just dragged off the street to come and take part of this. I've had, uh, especially working on kids' games, suspicious stains left after they've left where I think they, they need to go to the bathroom and didn't want to stop playing. Maybe that's a good review for the game. Had people falling asleep in sessions before. Had people obviously come to uh, sessions either drunk or high. Um, colleagues have had fights break out in their sessions. So, yeah, that, that's the that's the most salacious part is the actual players themselves. <laughs> epic, epic. Um, and then just before we, we um, pick a couple of winners for your for your book, um, for for someone starting out looking to get into um, the discipline today, what what's what, what would be your best bit of advice? What could they what could they do or, or be thinking about? Yes, apart from buying the book, um, the the practical skill that I think might help you stand out is actually giving a go and doing this, and that's very scary because again, the mentoring activity we talked about, approaching developers and asking them, can I test your game and give you some feedback. It's not so scary in real life once you actually get started because there's a lot of indie developers out there who have no support and are really grateful for uh, any sort of support or attention. And so it, it always goes very fine. I've never had um, teams say, be rude or, or tell us no when we've encouraged mentors to do this. But yeah, I think actually having a go, practicing the skills and then getting some feedback from either the Game Choose Research community or people are welcome to to email me as well. Uh, I'll be always happy to feedback once they have done a review or identified a usability issue to, to help them with that. Perfect. Um, so I was just going to bring up your email, if you don't mind. Uh -huh. Yes, of course. Excellent. So there's Steve's email. Um, and so moving on, moving on to our big question to get these free books. Um, we've, we've got half a dozen answers here. Um, what, what is the answer? The answer is 25,500, 25500. Okay. My, it's testing my maths now, isn't it? Yeah. So um, I, yeah. 10,000 and 37,000 are the I, I think so too. Um, there's a late entry, but I think it's slightly too late because we've just said the, the answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, there's a broadcast delay with this going out. Um, of about 20 seconds um, uh, um, but yeah un unfortunately um, uh, that means we'll, we'll have to take the, the ones that came in before we give the answer so that's um, Tomislav and Gekika 33 so if you can both email Steve at this address on the bottom of the screen um, if Steve ends up getting a dozen different emails all claiming to be the two of you only to verify YouTube accounts mm -hmm. Um, but I'm sure everyone's completely honest. So, um, Tomislav and Gekka, email your answers in. Um, and uh, Steve will very kindly, that's very good of you. And when everything's virtual, you're talking about something physical. That's a, a, yeah, a real book coming to your home. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, so, very kind of you. Thanks for doing that. Um, and that about brings us to the end. Um, Steve, is there anything that we, we, thought we were going to talk about or should have talked about that we haven't? Uh, no, I, I think hopefully we've explained what a game user researcher does. If anyone had any questions, do, yes, as someone has asked, 
Uh, do feel free to email me. I'm really enthusiastic about helping people get into games user research, helping people learn about them. Even if you're not doing it, want to do it as a career, if you just want to talk about playtesting, uh, I can also help with that. So do get in touch. Um, and thank you for the opportunity today. No, not at all. Thank you so much for your 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 time. This has been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's a, it's a discipline I know a, a little bit about, but it's, it's been great just hearing some of the the stories and insights and and just the tips for for people that are interested in in following in your footsteps. So, really appreciate the time you've you've given up to to be with us today. Thank you, Steve. That's right. Thank you. Great. And for everyone else, um, that's unfortunately all the time we've got Steve for. However, we are back next week with Nick Barrett, who spent 20 years in QA. He's a QA director and runs his own um, QA company now. So tune in next Wednesday, the 17th of March at 4 p.m., where we'll hear uh, Nick's experience going back to EA to run in his own studio now. Um, we also have the awards live stream for the game jam that we ran recently. So that is going to go out this Sunday, the 14th of March at 8 p.m. UK time. And we have all the other uh, events for um, Games Jobs Live coming up. The details are up on the website, which is gamesjobs.live. Go there, sign up to the newsletter, um, have a browse. We've recently added a bunch of articles and the interactive map with the jobs. So have a browse around all that. Uh, give us any suggestions in the comments or anything you'd like added to the, the website, as well as who else you'd like to to, to hear from on these one-on-one um, -on -one My Journey interviews in the in the future. We've got a, a, a few more fascinating people lined up, but open to suggestions and see who we can go and find from around the industry to give us uh, an hour of their um, of their afternoon. Steve, thank you again. That's been a pleasure, and um, we will hopefully meet up in the real world in real life after all this nonsense is over um, and to hear more about your stories then. Cool. Thank you again. Great. Thanks. Bye, everyone.